invited Reagan and, and Melly Martin back. We, uh, I, I so much appreciated uh, just what little time we got to know them in September, and uh, very much appreciated the way Reagan handled the scripture. And we, um, in, as we, as a church, just just consider uh, where we partner in, with missionaries. We 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 realize that we're not looking simply for personalities, but for people who will use the powerful word of God and put it where it needs to be and, and train leaders and, and reach lost people. And so because we believe in the powerful word of God, we're not asking Reagan to come and, and talk about South Africa primarily, but we're asking him to come and preach the word to us. You're going to hear about South Africa if you stick around for, um, we cancel Sunday school today so you guys all could um, stay together and be in this room and hear a report and ask questions. So you'll have that opportunity. We will have a love offering at the end of the worship service for the Martins ministry. But great to come and I'll just give you the rest of the time. It's good to be back with you uh, this morning. And we were just, that was in our fellowship. Uh, Last evening, enjoyed wonderful fellowship, and, and on, on that that matter, that was one of the uh, the themes of it was simple focus on the Word of God. A simple focus on the Word of God, how desperately that is needed globally in the church. That that's what it means to be sola scriptura people, Scripture alone people. And uh, there's there's a lot going on. South Africa right now. There's things going on with the Martins too, and we look forward to giving you an update uh, an upcoming, but supremely, why are we here? Right? We remember, we come on the Lord's Day and remember who all this is for. Right? And who we are. Right? Our, our identity. As we were just singing about. Who am I? are the Lord's. That's what it means to be a holy people. We are His. Reclaimed with the blood of His Son. Right? Given His Holy Spirit. And what treasures there are. We come on the Lord's Day. Uh, we, I don't know if uh, you know of George Herbert, the old English poet. Uh, we memorized in our family George Herbert's poem, Sunday. And uh, in one of those, he talks about how the Sundays of man's life, threaded together on time's string, make bracelets to adorn the wife of the eternal glorious king. The, our, the, the Lord's days are like pearls on the string of our lives. Isn't that beautiful? And then he says this, on Sunday, heaven's gate stands ope, open. Blessings are plentiful and right, more plentiful than hope. And I wanted to remind my children of that this morning. Like, it's Sunday. Heaven's gate stands open. Blessings are plentiful. Do we come expectant? Do you come desiring this morning to know God, to receive from his bounty, the bounty that comes to us through the gospel? I trust that is the case for us this morning. Let's pray. 
we bless your name. And may we bless your name as we've sung in prosperity and adversity at all times. You are worthy. You are the sovereign God of heaven. You are good. You are glorious. You are gracious. You are worthy of our worship in all our lives. Oh God, what a blessing that we have your word. We are not left in the darkness. The light of your word has come. And the gospel in which the glory of Christ shines. So open our eyes this morning in fresh ways to his glory, to what it means for us to be a praying people, uh, in praying for, uh, for in, in all of life and, and, and all the, the circumstances through which we pass, but, our, but being directed by your word in our prayers and praying for the gospel's advance in the world. Lord, we pray for it this morning. Bless your word to our souls, Lord. I am, I am a, a weak man under your mighty word. Come and speak, Christ, to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4. And uh, as I mentioned in prayer, we're going to speak of prayer. recognition, but they can't recognize my face. And if they can't recognize my face, then I'm, uh, I'm in trouble. In terms of getting my notes, there we go. Technology. We do not depend on, that was another subject last evening, we do not depend on technology, right? The simple things are the same as in the Apostle Paul's day, right? By which the Church of Christ is built. Isn't that beautiful? The Word of God, prayer. You don't need technology for those things. That's a beautiful thing. All right, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. And we're going to be ranging a little bit in this epistle uh, this morning, but chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So we've been uh, on free field for a little over two and a half years. And, you know, for free field missionaries, the, the bottom line is financial support. You have to raise the, the required financial support in order to reach the field. So that's the bottom line you're always looking at. Like, where's our support right now, and, and are we reaching our goals? And, and uh, that, that's, the, that's the urgent uh, support measure. But I, I was thinking of this recently as I was preparing on Colossians 4 and preaching on prayer, that prayer is, that's the support that we can't measure, right? How can we measure that? The impact of prayer. Sure, the financial end, yeah, we can... We measure that, we'll, Lord willing, we'll reach the field, we'll reach those goals, but, but do, can we even, what, what value do we place on that? On our need for prayer, 
on the value of prayer, the inestimable value of prayer. Not because our prayers are something, right? But because our gracious God is pleased to work. Listen, this is beautiful. He's pleased to work by his power through the weakness of prayer. Isn't that wonderful? Ah, how that confounds the world. It confounds our world. We live in a world where, uh, in a secular world, where prayer, uh, unless you're, it's some kind of thing just to kind of calm your mind, give you psychological comfort, prayer has no place, right? Where God is absent, no, we can do it. Oh, no, as believers, we understand the value of prayer because we know our weakness and we know the power of God. Also, as I approach the matter of prayer, uh, there's a very rich experience in my background, pastorally, at Winneka Bible Church. Uh, when I came to, to, and that's our second church, I was there for three years in a, in a role with the church. And when we came in 2012, uh, the church had gone through a rupture, and uh, the elders and a number of people had left. There was only a small core of the congregation left. And those people, they poured their hearts out to God in the valley. And when I came there, going through kind of the interview process, and I had this sense of, it's like revival has happened here. And I would go to the prayer meetings, and their prayers, especially the senior saints, would just wash over my soul. It was such a blessing. So I've seen this in my experience. Again, the power of God in prayer, in the prayers of his people. But I want to answer three questions from the text in Colossians this morning and in Scripture more broadly. What is prayer? What is prayer? Just defining that briefly from Scripture as a whole. And then how do we persevere in prayer? How do we persevere in prayer? Because that's hard, isn't it? So how do we do that? Paul gives us some helpful wisdom here. And then how do we pray for the gospel's advance in the world? So those are the three questions we're we're uh, going after today to give you a sense of where we're going. So let's begin by a definition of prayer. What is prayer? Well, the Puritans would have looked at a text like Isaiah 64, 9. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. There's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you, O God. That lament in Isaiah's day, that if you turn it to turn it positively, might we could give as a definition of prayer. Let me give you a brief definition. Taking hold of the triune God for all we need. We just sang of the triune God from whom all blessings flow. Taking hold of the triune God for all we need according to his word. Taking hold of the triune God for all we need according to his word. That's my definition. Now, let me just work backwards through that. First of all, according to his word. Prayer is a response to God's word. Prayer is part of a two-way conversation, right? It's not just, it's not just us praying, right? It, it actually begins with the word of God speaking to us. God speaks by his word. In prayer, we respond. Prayer is our response to that. Uh, we were having a conversation recently. I was in a, uh, a restaurant with some brothers. We were having a lunch, and we were at this preaching workshop. I'll actually discuss it when I give the update. Wonderful preaching workshop, and we're eating. It's actually, I'm sorry, dinner. We were there for dinner, and, and the waitress comes up. What? She, she asks, what are you guys craving? You know, she's ready to take our order. And uh, I just couldn't help it out. I just I said, we're craving more of Christ. 
when she came to me. And uh, she said, she began to kind of get this apologetic of, uh, well, I'm religious, uh, you know, grew up in, grew up in Ohio, I think, and then she was giving me some of her life story. And, but she said, um, but I pray, uh, here, you know, she talked about a few different relatives who were, who, who were in poor health and how she prayed for them. But toward the end of our, of our dinner, and I, I spoke with her, and we were encouraging her, well, are you, are you in a church, you know, do you, right? Uh, here's, there's a church nearby, the one where we were at for the, uh, the workshop. And, uh, and I said to her at the end, like, what if I, her name was Amanda, Amanda, what if I and my wife, you know, we've been married over 15 years now, what if I, I just called her now and then for what I, I felt I needed, but I never really listened to her. It was, it was never the, a, a real relationship. Could, could I really say that I know her, right? And, and I fear far too often, this is, this is of, of course true with those who would maybe would, would think themselves, Christians think themselves religious, but it, it, that's only a one-way conversation. That's just you speaking, and it's in vain because you've never heard God speak. But let me just address the church, those I trust many of you who are or are true believers, that our prayer should be directed not by circumstances but by the word. Word directed, not circumstance directed. That's my concern. I feel far too often, how are our prayers directed? Well, we've got this circumstance, we've got this situation, we've got, there's this need. And, and it's not wrong to pray for those. Let me just be very clear there. But my concern is actually the burden in our prayers should be, how, do we, how are our prayers directed by the word? Now, I'm going to come back to that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to model this in Colossians, in praying for the gospel's advance, in how we pray directed by the word, or pray according to the word. So we'll come back to that. The Puritans actually, let me mention this, they saw meditation as a halfway house between the word and prayer. And meditation on the word, I believe, is the key to connecting the word and prayer. But according to his word, but we're taking hold of the triune God for all we need. Prayer arises from a knowledge of our need and of God's grace. At the center of our communion with the Godhead, as we respond to God's voice in Scripture, it is the gospel through which God's grace abounds to poor and needy sinners like us. Listen to this, uh, John Calvin, what he said on prayer. He said, we are taught by faith to know that all the goodness which we need and which we ourselves lack is in God and in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the Father has placed all the bounty of his blessing and grace so that we may all draw from him, draw from him as from a most plentiful spring. It therefore remains for us, it therefore remains for us to seek from him what we know to be in him and to ask for it in prayer and supplication. Isn't that good? That's simple. That's simple gospel logic. It therefore remains for us to pray, to seek what is in Christ that we lack. Because Christ alone is our hope. This is where our bankruptcy and God's bounty meet. Prayer is the ransacking of the gospel treasury. I heard John Piper say this recently. All the things we care about, care most about are impossible. 
That was in a conference, a Bethlehem pastor's conference on prayer. He says that. All the things we care most about are impossible. So, pray. Right? We pray. The, uh, the hymn from Newton, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power such, none can ever ask too much. Right? We come with desperation for the knowledge of our need. We come with expectation for the knowledge of God's grace and the riches that are ours in Christ. We come in prayer. What a motivation we have for prayer in the gospel. Then finally, taking hold of trying God. Listen, prayer is the sweet work. Oh, how sweet it is by which we come to know the trying God experientially. Okay, I mean that in the best in biblical way that we come to know the trying God experientially. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the chief end of prayer, right? The chief end of man, glorifying and enjoying God. So sometimes you come across cultural messages, okay? I, I did recently, uh, in terms of The Greatest Showman, this movie that has come out recently, Hugh Jackman and the cast, and there's a bunch of songs, pretty powerful songs, uh, songs that kind of lodge in your memory. But and just as an aside, I can't give an unqualified recommendation to the movie, although there's a kind of pro-marriage kind of uh, uh, strand that uh, comes comes there as, as it develops. But I want to just quote from, from the first song, The Greatest Show. It's where Hugh Jackman comes out. It's it's a portrayal of the life of P.T. Barnum. Okay, Barnum, you know, the circus, right? So he's Barnum, and he's, at the beginning of this, he's singing this, um, uh, don't fight it, it's coming for you, running at you, it's only this moment, don't care what comes after. Your fever dream, can't you see it getting closer? Just surrender, because you feel the feeling taking over. This almost sounds religious, doesn't it? It's fire, it's freedom, it's flooding open. It's a preacher in the pulpit, and you'll find devotion. It's everything you ever want. This is kind of the refrain. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need, and it's here right in front of you. This is where you want to be. And I thought, yeah, that's the message of the world, right? It's this parade of wonders. Young people, are you tracking? It's a parade of wonders before our eyes, right, in the world. Look at all this. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. That's the message of the world. That's the hype. It's like Barnum. Barnum, he like he hyped things. That was his, that was his stock and trade. And that's what the world does. They hype. It's empty hype. Empty promises cannot be delivered, but they're promising. See? And actually, this is echoed later in the, in the movie. There's a song that's sung by, um, uh, it's Jenny Lynn, who was to the Swedish Nightingale, and Barnum had to come over and do a tour. Anyway, in the movie, she sings this song, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. That's the cry of our generation, is it not? It'll never be enough. All the Facebook likes, right? All the, the technologies, all the media, right? It'll never be enough. But the Christian can say, this is enough. This is enough. As Augustine said, oh God, you created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But then it's enough. And then we come to know 
this triune God, the Holy Trinity in prayer. But that means exploring, exploring the, the roles, the relationships of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in prayer. Right? Taking the time to do that in prayer. More could be said there. I have not time to do so. Let's go to the text here before us in verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. And now we address the question. So we've said, we've asked, what is prayer? Taking hold of the triune God for all we need according to his word. Now how do, how do we persevere in prayer? How do I persevere in prayer? Notice uh, in the verse before us, in these brief words, there's much that Paul says. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Right? You know other texts in Paul in the Pauline epistles. Pray without ceasing. So we are to devote ourselves to prayer. This word has the meaning of, of that devotion in prayer and persisting in it. Persisting. It's the same word that occurs actually in Acts 6, where the apostles speak of their need. Right? Remember when the, the deacons are chosen? Why? Right? But I think they're deacons, right? That when they're chosen. That's because he says that we may devote ourselves to prayer and to the word. But that's not just the concern of pastors. That's the concern of every believer. All Christians are called to live a prayerful life, to a prayerful way of life, a life marked by prayer. But this requires perseverance. And is this not often what we find most difficult, right? Perseverance in prayer, right? I mean, I know it's in my case. True for you as well, right? We might agree with F.W. Faber when he, uh, uh, in a, uh, a hymn, when he wrote on distractions in prayer. Ah, dearest Lord, I cannot pray. My fancy is not free. Unmannerly distractions come and force my thoughts from thee. The world that looks so dull all day grows bright on me at prayer. And plans that ask no thought, but then wake up and meet me there. Can you relate to this? Right? All of a sudden, plans you know, all these things are coming to your mind when you bow your knee and begin to pray. All nature, one full fountain seems of dreamy sight and sound, which, when I kneel, breaks up its deeps and makes a deluge round. I feel like I'm going to be drowned with these distractions. Old voices murmur in my ear, new hopes start to life, and past and future gaily blend in one bewitching strife. My very flesh has restless fits, my changeful limbs conspire. With all these phantoms of the mind, my inner self tire. I cannot pray, yet, Lord, thou knowest the pain it is to me, to have my vainly struggling thoughts thus torn away from me. That is the struggle of prayer, isn't it? To persevere in it. When, when we bend the knee, we bow in prayer, and all of a sudden, the wellsprings of distraction open up to us. Well, I think Paul cuts here to the heart of, of why it can, prayer can be such hard work. Martin Luther, actually, who uh, he spent, it was said, the better, uh, the better part of two hours every morning in prayer. He said prayer is the hardest work of all, a labor above all labors. And how do we persevere in it? Well, we need our minds renewed, and there's a truth here that Paul identifies in persevering in prayer. Notice, it's the phrase that actually modifies uh, that continue steadfastly in prayer. It's being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
being watchful with thanksgiving. What does Paul mean by watchful? What is this watchful mindset? Well, the answer, I believe, is in the parallel epistle to Colossians. Do you know what that is? What is the parallel epistle to Colossians? The sister epistle. A lot of the same things. It's Ephesians. Ephesians is the sister epistle. Go to chapter 6 of Ephesians. Just turn back. See, this little, this little word, watchful, I believe there's a, there's a weight of meaning that's, that's in it. And it's actually expounded more in Ephesians 6. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 18. Here's a, a, the, the, the kind of corresponding verse in Ephesians. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that and keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So you see a, a similar theme, right, of persevering in prayer? Well, what, what is the larger context in Ephesians 6 that helps us understand that watchful mindset? That larger context is, is the war we wage, is it not? Remember these uh, verses? In verse, uh, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's why prayer is hard. See? You know, we tend to think of that activity of the spiritual forces of evil. It, maybe it's our culture. Maybe in ways it's the, the, the charismatic movement, but how we view it as, as it's, we view it in kind of these extreme kind of manifestations. Listen, often, will it not be like, like the master Satan, that those spiritual forces of evil, that they would be masters of subtlety, like he was in the Bible, right? And would, in very strategic ways, right, working in secret, strategic ways, to undermine prayer, maybe because Satan knows what a powerful weapon prayer is, right? I believe that's what's behind often, what is behind the distractions, because it is, we are in a context of spiritual conflict. It helps to know this, does it not? It helps to arm ourselves, not just to sort of screw up our own willpower in prayer, but it helps to, to arm ourselves in the gospel, arm ourselves, as Paul says, with the whole armor of God, being strong in the Lord. I'm concerned sometimes the accent is be strong in the Lord. The accent, the accent should be be strong in the Lord, in union with Christ. It's the gospel. That's what arms us. And, you, and as we encounter distractions in prayer, and we feel we feel like like uh, Faber said, uh, the pain it is when there's distractions and the struggle of prayer. As we walk through that, this should press us right back into the gospel, should it not? Right? Like Lord, I'm a weak man. I feel distracted in prayer. But thank you for a strong Savior who's sufficient for me, for this weak, distracted man. You see, it presses us. It should press us right back into the gospel. I think often when those distractions come, we feel like just giving up in prayer. We feel like, I can't pray. My prayers are, they're like sullied by this, by all these distractions. Oh, let it press you into the gospel. All the more. Lord, I know my prayers, they wouldn't have a chance. 
and yet we need a gospel-centered mindset in prayer. And that can help us persevere, can't it? Right? What is prayer? How do we persevere in prayer? Now to the last point, how should I pray for missionaries? Now, I say that, here's why I say missionaries. Let me just give a brief defense and then a caveat. <laughs> All right? Uh, in, in chapter 4 of Colossians again, back in the text, Paul is saying, pray that God would, would open a door, uh, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in chains. Now, go to chapter 1 of Colossians, and you'll notice, as Paul describes his ministry at the end of chapter 1, he speaks of this mystery. Look in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, the Gentiles, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that mystery is, in a, in a manner of speaking, the gospel, right? Christ in us, the hope of glory. But here's, Paul, what does Paul say there? This mystery, uh, he was given a stewardship to proclaim it to whom? To the Gentiles, right? To take the gospel where it had not gone, right? And, and cross-culturally, that's a specific sort of, for me, that comes into the definition of, of a missionary, is a cross-cultural. Like, we want to be careful here, here's the caveat, about drawing a sharp distinction between some priestly class of missionaries and gospel ministers, and then, you know, the rest of you, the rank and file. No, no, every Christian is a gospel minister. Every Christian is a gospel minister. Every Christian is called into that work of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. But in a specific way, missionaries, cross-cultural, global servants of Christ, proclaiming, all right? Make sense? So that's why I'm saying, I believe here we have a, a, a model praying for missionaries. And I mentioned I was going to come back to the full fact of, being, of our prayers being directed by the word, by the word of God. So it's a response to the word. And, and I'm saying we can do that with respect to missions. Watch this. We're going to walk through. We're going to walk through, actually, chapter 4. Chapter 4, just briefly here. Stick with me. All right? I'm going to seek to briefly walk through and just give you points for which you can pray. And I would love to have you pray for us. Listen, we do prayer updates, and we share our requests. But I would, I would that you not just pray for those requests, but that you pray for things that are coming right out of scripture and that you're bearing before the throne of grace on our behalf, we would be so grateful. So let's look at these. Beginning in chapter four, look what he says, that God may open to us a door to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He's defining the opening of the door. This is what he means by God opening a door. Often when we think of God opening a door, we think of an opportunity, right? I, I'm looking for an opportunity. God open a door for me to share the gospel. But you know, I believe Paul is not just speaking of an opportunity here. He's saying that, that God will open a door that I may make it clear as I have to speak. I need ability. I need not just gospel opportunity, but gospel ability, right? Do we not all need that? Even when you come into situations where you, you feel, this is a gospel opportunity, but what do you feel? 
You feel fear, right? You may feel you don't know what to say, right? And that's exactly what this is addressing. I, I need to be clear. I need to give a clear word, and I need the courage to proclaim that word. That, that's the prayer. That's this first one, for courage and clarity in our proclamation. By the way, the fact that Paul is asking for that, think about it. He was, you might say, look, he was a, he was in prison for this. Paul, certainly Paul had courage, to be clear. Well, why is he asking for it then? Because missionaries need that too. We need the grace of the Lord to be courageous, to be clear in our proclamation. So pray for that, for courage and clarity in our proclamation. Number two, that was number one. Number two, for gospel-shaped joy in our sufferings. Now, the rest of these are in chapter one, so just walk through or come with me to chapter one, and we're going to walk through this. It's not full-on exposition. Be encouraged. Just, I'm just doing just basic meditation here, okay? For gospel-shaped joy in our sufferings. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings, Paul says, for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Uh, did, was Christ's accomplishment on the cross not sufficient? That's not what Paul's saying. Of course, the, the Christ's cross work is a finished work, right? And it is sufficient. What is Paul saying? I believe John Piper touches on it. What's missing is the in-person presentation of Christ's sufferings to the people for whom he died. The afflictions are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and known among the nations. They must be carried by ministers of the gospel. And those ministers of the gospel, as they proclaim, fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ by extending them to others. Paul sees his own suffering as the visible reenactment of the sufferings of Christ so that they will see Christ's love for them. Do you see that? So we proclaim Christ's sufferings, and it is a finished work. We proclaim the sufficiency of the cross. But as we do that, we suffer. As missionaries suffer, we, we present in person the sufferings of Christ that we proclaim. Do you see? We're sharing his sufferings. That's another way Paul would express it in Philippians. So we need that mindset. That's what I mean by this. For gospel-shaped joy in our sufferings, that in our sufferings we would not lose heart. We would not become bitter but that we would remember that this is how God advances the gospel through, through our sufferings. We need that as missionaries. Pray for that. For gospel-shaped joy in our sufferings. That's number two. Number three, for an abiding love for Christ's church. This is simple. Look how Paul, Paul says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. At the end of verse 24. He loved the church. The elect. Those whom God had chosen and would save and and, and I think Paul loved in particular ways, local ways, local churches, right? But that's where it gets messy, right? So pray that missionaries, that we would have an abiding love for Christ's church. That was number three. Number four, for faithfulness in our stewardship of God's grace. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make known the word of God, for, to make the word of God fully known. Paul was given a stewardship of grace. Of course, it was an apostolic stewardship. Listen, we have not been given an apostolic stewardship. We were speaking last night of the apostles in South Africa. The apostles, they were. We have not been given an apostolic stewardship, but we have been given a stewardship of God's grace. Every one of us has. That's First Peter four. True. 
So I want to be faithful in this. Pray for us that we would be faithful in our stewardship of God's grace. We don't want to fall into sin and, and, and undermine the gospel, right? Forfeit the ministry that God has given us. We want to be faithful stewards. Pray for that. The faithfulness in our stewardship of God's grace. For whole Bible fidelity in our ministry. Where am I at? This is number five. For whole Bible fidelity in our ministry. This is wonderful. He says at the end of verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. You pray for us that we would make the word of God fully known. That we would be whole Bible in our ministry. Not, not buffet style ministry, but whole Bible. Because it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. I heard St. Bernstein say that once. Really good. It takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. So we need to not shrink. Remember what Paul said that in, to the Ephesian elders in Acts? I did not shrink from declaring anything that is profitable. And he speaks of that in that text of, of the whole counsel of God. We'll pray for that. For whole Bible fidelity in our ministry. Then, number six. We're almost there for those who have babies. Uh, for reaching the unreached. Again, when he speaks of the Gentiles. New frontiers uh, would, be, would be reached. New people who have not heard Christ, have not heard the gospel and truth. There's so much confusion down in South Africa. Pray that we would be able to reach those who are still unreached there. For reaching the unreached. And by the way, listen, in our generation, I, I, I believe this is what will be needed to finish the mission. In our generation, the generations that come, we have the unreached people groups, right? Are most of those people groups welcoming the gospel at all? No. Most are Muslim. Right? Most all of them. They don't want the gospel. So that's why missionaries will suffer, but that's why we pray. We need concentrated prayer. Oh, God. Bring the gospel to the nations. Bring your people to the feet of King Jesus from all people groups of the young earth. Okay, next, for the spectacular centrality of Christ in our message. In verse 28, when he speaks of, he speaks at the end of 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, then he says, him we proclaim. Just that little simple, him we proclaim. Christ, Christ we proclaim. Christ alone we proclaim. Oh, may our message have that rich, sweet centrality of Christ and it may breathe that the supremacy of Christ his sufficiency to save then for the spirit energizing us in ministry toil you know ministry is toil and Paul's ministry was toil listen to this uh, in verse 29 for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me and then he says in chapter 2 verse 1 I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face Paul had a great struggle. It was a toil. That's what ministry is. And we need prayer for the Spirit energizing us. I love how he says that. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Am I going to toil in my own strength? May it never be. Pray for us that for the Spirit energizing us in the toil of ministry. Because we have no hope in that great struggle unless we have the Spirit energizing us. Last one, this is it. For maturity and unity in the churches we serve. And 
that the passage here is just rich from chapter 1 to chapter 2 when he speaks in verse 28 of chapter 1 that we're warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, mature in Christ. And then how he speaks in chapter 2 of uh, his prayer in verse 2, that, you're, that, uh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding this, these aspects of maturity and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. If the church isn't mature, then the church is deluded with plausible arguments, right? For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. All of these things, good order, firmness of faith, maturity, not being deluded. Pray for these things in the churches we serve. Pray for maturity and unity. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To see spiritual maturity in a church and a unity around the gospel. Family is memorizing Philippians 2 right now. Uh, being of the same mind, having the same love, being both for the Lord. you hear that? Pray for that. Pray for these things. Do you see? Now that came right out of Colossians 1 and 2. That's what you can do. Take the word of God, you meditate, and you pray, you respond to God's word. I find, I find great joy in it. I have found it in my own, to be reviving, in my own prayer life. Trust it will be a blessing for you. Let me just close. I, I don't know how I'm doing for time. Am I okay? I have a little story to close with. <laughs> there was once a mother whose son was a rebel. He lived a, uh, a prodigal life. And then he later embraced worldly philosophies. Thought he could, maybe those would, would, uh, would, would, you know, give him the answer for which he was yearning. And his mother was praying for him, praying, 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 while this time. And then there was this moment where he heard these words, Tole Lege, right? Take up and read. He picks up Romans and reads, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, right? And, uh, and he was converted to Christ. And he became one of the great theologians in uh, church history, Augustine. I've mentioned him already in the course of this sermon. Okay? That's the power of prayer. I saw a magazine recently. My uh, my my daddy gets some of these financial magazines, and there was this magazine, the 50 most powerful women, or something. You know, all these executive women. I mean, just you know, they're they're in the upper echelons of corporations. <coughs> That's not power. That's not power. Like the power of God uh, through a praying mother. Praying friend or coworker, when you think of the those who are lost around you, right? And uh, and, and parents who bring up our children. This is what God has appointed. This wonderful means by which He gets glory for Himself by His grace, meeting our need. And it's through prayer. So be a praying people. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the great privilege of prayer that we come, as Newton said, we come to a king, the king of glory. And we may bring large petitions with us. Yes, petitions for, for the things that we care most about that are all impossible. And yes, for the gospel's global advance, which we long for, Lord. We long to see the church of Christ built from all nations, disciples made. We want to see the gospel penetrate in the hardest places, Lord. So may we be a praying people. May we be prayerful, Lord. Not just praying now and then, but a prayerful people who persevere in it. Because we understand the, the, the cosmic conflict, and yet we, we, we know Christ, the one who is the champion, who has conquered, and who is for us. Will give us grace, will meet us in our need, and how he does through prayer. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Regan. We are going to sing as a congregation in just a few moments, but we're going to have our, our love offering for Martin's ministry. And uh, I would encourage you to stick around after our fellowship time to come back in here and we'll hear more about what's going on with their ministry, uh, some changes in their family since September, and uh, we'll look forward to that. So, uh, Andre, would you come? So, our Father, we're thankful that um, we've been challenged with what it means to, to come before you and challenged from your word with what prayer really looks like as we pray for one another, as we pray for our children, as we pray for those who are serving you, who are serving you vocationally. Thank you for, for our brother alerting us to how much of this comes back to the message as we're praying about the, the open doors, as we're praying for clarity of the message. So much comes back to the power of the gospel. So remind us of that, remind us of, of how we as a church participate in that um, in, in active ways as well as in our giving and when we're praying together, when we're praying individually in our homes, in our cars, wherever we are. Remind us of the power that is available to us. Remind us of the power of the resurrected Savior to save. So be glorified as we conclude our time together with um, just considering this another act of worship and participating in your work in our giving. Challenge us with example and word this day.